Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Since nicotine vaping products first hit the market in the United States back in 2007, the U.S. has been the lead driver of innovation and consumer adoption of these products worldwide. But while the U.S. is still the largest market for vaping products, anti-vaping zealotry and regulatory insolence has all but destroyed the legal U.S. vaping industry. Case in point, FDA's recent ban on Juul. Joining us today for a deep dive into the impact of FDA's Juul ban and to discuss how the war on vaping affects consumers is Alex Clark, CEO of CASA, the National Consumer Advocacy Organization for Smoke-Free Alternatives. Alex, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me back. So before we jump into the Juul ban, for our viewers who are unfamiliar with CASA and what's the mandate of the organization, what kind of things do you do? Sure. Well, um, for some background, CASA was formed in 2009 uh, under similar circumstances to what we're seeing today. Uh, FDA was taking action to remove certain products from the market, uh, and a group of consumers banded together on, on an internet forum of all places and uh, decided that the consumer voice needed to be represented in this debate. Uh, people were afraid of losing access to these products that had helped them quit smoking. Uh, and so since then, we have been advocating for uh, and promoting uh, information and access to these uh, life-saving products. Now, how many members are in CASA? Uh, at the moment, we have more than 250,000 members. Now, I mean, is the number of smokers and vapors in the U.S., is it, are, is it still rather high? Uh, yeah, by anyone's measure, uh, in the United States, we have 30.8 million people who are still smoking, uh, and 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 certainly uh, every effort is being made to bring that number down. Uh, and of course, you know, consistent with our mission, uh, it's mostly about attracting people to the solutions and and encouraging them to try uh, new uh, smoke-free alternatives rather than uh, just the quit or die strategy that we've seen from public health people uh, for so many years. Uh, and of course, uh, among people. People who vape, I believe we're talking about between 10 and 15 million people. That's a lot. So the FDA, let's uh, turn our attention to them because they had a very busy week last week. It was quite monumental. In fact, on Tuesday, FDA announced plans to reduce the maximum level of nicotine in all cigarettes to a level considered non-addictive. On Wednesday, the Wall Street Journal published a leak, presumably from the FDA, stating that the agency would ban Juul products and then on Thursday, the FDA then went ahead and denied marketing authorization for Juul products and immediately banned the products and enforced, informed retailers that they were required to take them off the shelves. And then on Friday, Juul won a temporary stay in appeals court, allowing Juul products to stay on the shelves. But for how long, we don't know. So basically leaked on the Wednesday, banned on the Thursday, and by Friday, Juul you know, had a temporary stay. So, Alex, what was your first reaction to the leak and how surprised were you that the FDA pulled the trigger on the ban? Well, as far as the FDA banning Juul, uh, it, it wasn't much of a surprise. I think many of us have been preparing for an announcement like that. Um, but when really considering the amount of work <clears throat> that Juul put into the application and how long this took, uh, people have reported this is a, a $100 million application that took two years. Uh, it is a bit shocking uh, that FDA would, I, I, I think it's safe to say, disregard a lot of very high quality science that went into this application. Um, 
I can't really say that, uh, you know, the denial was predictable. Uh, I think many people were, were very much hoping that the regulator would act like a regulator and consider all the science and data. Yeah, uh, I certainly assume that there would be an approval. Now, you were just mentioning in terms of the PMTA that Jewel had filed, what FDA, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but what FDA was saying is that basically Jewel's application was conflicting, the data was conflicting, um, and, and didn't have enough evidence in terms of the fact that it was appropriate for the protection of public health. Yeah, this is uh, this is is really kind of at the heart of the matter. Uh, as I mentioned, this is this is a process that took two years to get to to get us to this point where FDA is issuing issuing a marketing denial order, and it, just like what other companies have experienced, if an application is lacking a specific piece of information. As part of the protocol, FDA needs to reach back out to that company and and put in a request for more information. Um, and uh, rather than issuing a marketing denial order, uh, I think many people would expect FDA to um, issue deficiency letters, which again is part of that process of requesting more information. Uh, and so, uh, it, the the really interesting thing about this is that FDA is citing a lack of information about toxicology. Uh, it, it's 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 shocking and very disappointing because out of any of the applications, maybe with the exception of uh, applications produced by Reynolds, uh, there should be a, an abundance of information here. And when we're talking about you know toxicology specifically, uh, the the potential of chemicals leaching from a pod into the liquid. Um, there's really not much difference between Juul and some of the other products that have been authorized for sale. In fact, you know, this is something that's been a known issue for more than a decade. Uh, when I started vaping back in 2013, there were talks um, among people in the community uh, that, you know, it was a good idea to stay away from certain flavorings uh, because it would it would crack your tank. Uh, and, and so these were things that sort of got worked out early on uh, in, in the beginnings of the industry. And, and so, you know, manufacturers know this, they, they have data now, uh, and certainly a company like Juul has robust science to, uh, determine what are the best, uh, uh products and, and chemicals to use to make the plastics and in the e-liquid so that there's no, uh, interaction or concerning levels of, of, of leaching going on. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It, it's interesting because those re that reasoning seems to defy kind of Jules' experience in, in with both the technology and implementation of it. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, Jules says that the decision uh, to ban its products was motivated by political forces that sought to blame the company for the youth vaping crisis. Any truth to that? Well, I can't get inside the head of the FDA, um, but it, it, it seems like one of the most plausible explanations. Uh, there has been so much anger and, and hype around Juul's role in young people experimenting with vapor products uh, that, again, this is one of those things that makes a marketing denial order less of a surprise. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's clear that uh, the anti-tobacco campaigns, anti-tobacco lawmakers, uh, they, they wanted to take their pound of flesh from the industry, and Juul was the prime target. Um, so uh, again, I, I, I can't speak for people at FDA, 
but uh, that that really does seem like the best explanation. Now, certainly there is a bit of a love-hate relationship within the industry over Juul because it, you know, it's had such an impact on open systems just from, you know, the bad press and everything else that's come from uh, Juul and uh, being tied to the teen vaping epidemic. However, though, on the other hand, those products have delivered, you know, the promise of a smoke-free life to millions and millions of consumers. Yeah, I think I had heard uh, or read someone uh, posting something along the lines of 3 million people who have been able to use Juul and, and successfully switch away from smoking. And, and just to, to clarify, you know, when we talk about the, the quote unquote youth vaping epidemic, um, this is, these are numbers that are, are showing youth experimentation. This, this, this alarming spike in use among young people is almost entirely driven by curiosity and maybe even fitting in with the in crowd. These are not young people who are necessarily at risk of continuing to use nicotine for the rest of their lives uh, or go on to smoking. I mean, kids aren't smoking anymore. Let fewer than 2% of, of, of kids are, are, are even messing around with cigarettes right now. So um, it's, it's important to, to really put that uh, vaping epidemic claim into perspective here. Uh, and, and so I, that really calls into question, uh, you know, even focusing on Juul. Certainly they, uh, they flew a, a bit too close to the sun, I think, when it came to the demographic that they were targeting for their products. No matter how noble their intentions, um, it, was, it, was, it was very dangerous territory. Uh, and of course, among the community, um, they, they have not done much to win a lot of goodwill among uh, the independent vapor industry. Uh, oftentimes we have found ourselves on opposite sides of a, of a policy debate uh, in state legislatures. Um, but again, none of that takes away from the effectiveness of the, of the product. Uh, and, and anybody who is supportive of tobacco harm reduction uh, should be disappointed and frankly alarmed by the marketing denial order. Now, why is that? Because of the flimsy reasoning that FDA gave, as I said, you know, this is a $100 million two-year application process. Uh, FDA did not give the company any warning that they were going to deny their products. They didn't reach out to seek any more information or clarification about these issues. Uh, and it, as we're discussing here, it, it's, you know, toxicology is something that sounds believable. Uh, I think the public is, is willing to accept uh, and many people, of course, believe that vaping is as harmful or more harmful than smoking. Uh, and so once again, this is an example of FDA leveraging the, pu the public's misunderstanding of these products uh, and uh, misperceptions of risks associated with these products in order to achieve uh, an end here, which is uh, scaring people away from, from vapor or any nicotine product. Now, obviously, there was a certain measure of glee uh, from the anti-vaping folks. And here's the case in point. The, the leader of the crew is Mr. Bloomberg, and so he put this out the day of the ban. Uh, Joel is largely responsible for creating and fueling the youth e-cigarette epidemic. To date, Bloomberg.org has spent $160 million fighting Juul and other flavored e-cigs to protect kids from these addictive products. It's great to see the U.S. FDA taking this important step to protect kids. 
Well, my take on that is, first of all, this step does not protect young people. Uh, in fact, it's it's most likely doing more harm to their parents than anything else. Uh, and what we've seen from commenters on social media is uh, young people have already moved on. Uh, Jewel was a passing fad uh, and, and young people have gravitated to products that, that they can get a hold of. Uh, and, and these are things that are being sold by informal sources. They have not gone through uh, PMTA review, uh, and we expect this to continue. Uh, vaping is not some uh, you know, unattainable product that, that we have to rely on massive corporations to provide. Uh, these products, this industry was built by people who uh, wanted to uh, improve upon devices that were coming to America from overseas. Uh, and they did so in their kitchens and their garages. Uh, they did it for themselves and then they brought their friends along with them. And that's how the, the vapor industry organically grew to a point where a company like Juul uh, could sell its products and become very popular. Now, is that world that you just described of the innovation of the open systems basically market, is that still doable in the US? Or I mean, is that not largely been crushed? It's more difficult now, obviously. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of risk for anyone who is manufacturing products without FDA authorization. Um, but there's, you know, even though we're, we're looking at an industry functioning in a diminished capacity, there's really no reason to expect it to disappear. Uh, we certainly would like to see regulations that companies can follow, uh, you know, standards-based regulation that, that uh, opens it up to, to many competitors. Uh, diversity of products, I think, would be ideal. Uh, but in the absence of that, people are just going to fill the demand the ways that they know how. Uh, I, I, I would say, you know, a, a word of clarification here, usually when we're talking about illicit markets, we're talking about uh, increasing the potential of poisonings or contamination, uh, products manufactured poorly. Um, certainly people should be concerned about the environment that products are being manufactured in. But, uh, you know, the main ingredient here, as far as a device and, and liquid goes, is the liquid. Uh, and, and how to make the liquid is, is well known. There are lots of resources online for people to, to make their own or if they want to scale up an operation. Uh, it's, it's entirely doable and people can do this in a safe way uh, that does protect anyone buying these products. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's useful to point out the added risks that the regulator is putting on consumers here. Uh, but in reality, uh, there's not much concern as far as the quality of products goes other than, uh, and this is you know specific to young people, the informal sellers who will now be adding this to their menu are also people who are selling other illicit drugs uh, like cocaine and heroin and methamphetamine, uh, again, suffering from a very similar regulatory debacle where there is no legal regulated marketplace. Uh, and for those substances, we know uh, there, there is a lot of concern about uh, poisonings and contamination that, that are leading to tens of thousands of people dying every year. Alex, let me ask you, are any of the popular devices uh, that are out there on FDA's approved list or, or is it all really shoddy stuff that's, you know, not really going to be a good substitute? 
Well, there are certainly products that FDA has authorized, and 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 I I think it is you know credit where credits due. At the end of the news release that FDA put out about the marketing denial order for Juul, uh, they went on to say at the bottom that for anybody who's worried about losing access to Juul, uh, certainly try all of the NRT and other resources that we've all heard about, and many of us have already tried multiple times. Uh, but they added that there are now 23 products that FDA has granted marketing orders for, and, and they fit the uh, appropriate for protection of public health standard, uh, if, if that's even actually a standard. Uh, and so uh, there are products on the market. In fact, uh, the Enjoy Ace, as far as I understand it, is very, very similar to Juul uh, in terms of the formulation of the e-liquid and certainly the nicotine content of that liquid. Um, and uh, the Reynolds uh, Views is also a, a product that people may uh, consider switching to. So it's it's not that these other products are less effective or less enjoyable. Uh, they are, of course, limited to tobacco flavors, which is not a, a popular choice for many people switching away from tobacco cigarettes. Uh, and, but uh, there are options out there. There are other smoke-free options available. Uh, anytime I have the opportunity to suggest alternatives for people, I will mention Swedish Snus, uh, General, uh, or uh, Swedish Match was authorized to sell, I believe it was eight different types of, uh, of Snus, and those are in flavors. Other than tobacco, you have mint and wintergreen, um, not, of, of course, the fruit flavors that many people enjoy, but uh, still something other than tobacco. I use snus uh, and, and I enjoy it and recommend it to anybody. So um, there are products that are out there. They are not, they don't have the same headline grabbing appeal uh, that, that Juul had, uh, but uh, they are out there. And certainly, uh, and I, I, I always, I'm not, I'm not here to promote a particular company, but in terms of using snus, I, I, I would like to see people uh, give oral tobacco, oral nicotine products another shot. Um, I've found them to be really useful and certainly they've helped me stay smoke-free for, for several years now. Yeah, and this isn't the old school chaw days, is it? No, no. Uh, Swedish snus is a, a, it's a pouch product. Uh, and it fits right up here uh, in in your upper upper gum, and uh, there's no spitting involved. It's it's not hard to manage. It's very discreet. Uh, you can literally use it anywhere. No one is checking your mouth. Hmm. Well, it's good to know. It's good to know that there are uh, options out there. And quite frankly, actually, the fact that the U.S. has approved snus, whereas in most of almost all of Europe, it's illegal, and you can't find that kind of a product in Canada either. So that's, you know, that's, it's pretty good to know. So let me ask you this, when it comes to then consumers who obviously are the consumers of these products, is it a challenge to get them involved in vape advocacy? Well, you know, and I've, I've said several times before, you know, one of our biggest recruiters is bad policy, or in this case, a bad decision by the regulator. Uh, last week, we saw a lot of anger, a lot of disbelief, uh, and a lot of, I think, um, uh, uh, mistrust uh, being fomented here uh, from from people who who use these products to to quit smoking. And uh, it's it's sort of our job to seize the opportunity and and give people an outlet for that anger uh, and 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 get them engaged in 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 communicating with lawmakers uh, and regulators where it's possible. Right now, we have. Uh, comment opportunities on the menthol and flavored cigar ban. 
Uh, those are two separate comments, so people can check that out on our website, casaa.org. Um, and we will likely have uh, something up to comment on the very low nicotine content rule. Um, and uh, of course, as we go back into legislative sessions uh, in 2023, there will be plenty of opportunities for people to get involved. Um, but I, I think as you're sort of uh, uh, hinting at here uh, is that uh, people are getting really tired. Uh, I've, I've experienced my own level of burnout over the past couple of years. Uh, the lung injury hype and hysteria of 2019, I think uh, it did a number on a lot of us. Uh, it is it is very difficult to be operating in a space where we know that people are twisting the truth. Uh, we know that government officials who we're supposed to trust are lying to us, uh, and and that these these lies and this misinformation is demonstrable. Uh, it, it's 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 confusing, it's frustrating, and it's exhausting to see people buy these lies and move forward as if the truth doesn't matter. Uh, all that matters is their uh, their ideology and and this this fantasy world they live in where uh, everyone is free of sin and no one uses drugs and uh, little Johnny and Jane are growing up in a perfect world with access to everything that they need. Um, it's just not reality and uh, and I, I I empathize with and I have experienced the the same level of fatigue that, that a lot of people out there have. Um, but, you know, there really is no shortage of bad decisions. So um, even though we don't want to see these these horrible decisions and misinformation being propagated, um, they are opportunities for us to get new people engaged. Uh, and and the only silver lining here is that maybe with all of the ridiculousness that's going on with Jewel, uh, we may see some new blood coming into the fight. It's troubling, Alex, for sure. I think everything that you just outlined, because I've certainly experienced it too. And I mean, it does, it wears you down. It, it just really wears you down. I don't know how many times I can keep ask, asking the same questions over and over and over again. Eventually, I just want to find somebody and wring their neck if that's possible. But <laughs> the, uh, you know, I think though, it's important to also mention, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, is that when public health gets away with this kind of lying, and if they're doing it in with regard to nicotine and vaping, in what other areas may they also be doing that? That's my concern. Yeah, I, you know, I feel a little weird about saying things like that because it it's 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 a little bit in the vein of of what aboutism. Mm. Um, it's sort of if this then that is also possible, but it's it's unavoidable. Um, I, I think, you know, you sort of led this question with uh, public health getting away with this. Uh, uh, unfortunately for public health professionals, the longer time frame doesn't actually lead to them getting away with this. Uh, as, as we go further into this, this, this issue, more and more data becomes available, uh, more and more science is produced, we have more and more people switching away from smoking. Uh, the, the proof is in the pudding. And at some point, it becomes undeniable. Uh, and and I think that that people in in positions of leadership in public health or even in the anti-smoking campaigns, uh, at some point there there's going to have to be some accountability. Uh, that may not come in the form of legal consequences, uh, but it, the loss of public's of the public's trust, uh, I think, can be even more damaging. Here's a question for you, Alex. I mean, it's it's one of those. One of those deep, you know, philosophical ones. But um, could it be that the anti-vaping or the anti-nicotine folks they think that 
somehow the industry or we as consumers, even individual vapors, are somehow getting in their way of delivering, you know, better kids, you know, better human beings? I think that's possible. And I, I think it's even demonstrable. I, I mean, we've we've heard the line for so many years now that, oh, smoking was declining and, and kids weren't smoking anymore. And then vaping came along and undid all of this progress. Uh, that's the narrative that they've been pushing um, probably for more than 10 years now. Uh, and and it's it's simply not true. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the counter to that is that tobacco harm reduction or harm reduction in, in any setting is really a complement to existing regulations, if not a remedy to regulations that aren't working. Uh, and so um, it's unfortunate that they have made this an adversarial relationship. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We want people to live healthier lives. We want people to have access to products that 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 make them feel better, that improve their health. Um, and and it, it's 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 really just a matter of of how we're all proposing different ways to get there. Um, but as I said, I, I think it's it's really important for people in the anti-tobacco world to start looking at harm reduction as complementary, and, and we're, not, we're really not enemies here. You know, it's interesting because so many people in public health are very pro-harm reduction when it comes to hard drugs, you know, alcohol, you know, not safer sex, and that kind of thing. But yet they just refuse to um, accept, the, you know, the theory of harm reduction when it comes to nicotine. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, um, you know, a lot of this is based on the, the sins of the past. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a matter of public record at this point that the, the incumbent cigarette companies uh, actively misled the public about the risks of their product. Uh, that is uh, for many people in public health, uh, for many average citizens, unforgivable. Uh, and it led, it has led to millions of people dying early uh, and and for folks who may live a full life uh, living out their last days in agony due to some sort of smoking attributable disease and so i think there is is this sort of constant uh there is a current through all of this that tobacco companies must pay for their past offenses um but you know we we had this discussion in in America. We we've sorted this out actually. The tobacco companies were sued, they were hauled in front of Congress. Uh they are now uh you know responsible for paying millions, hundreds of millions of dollars every year to states. Uh and of course the states don't use that in in the ways that uh, the CDC recommends, uh which is a good or bad thing uh depending on on how you see uh anti-smoking campaigns or anti-smoking uh, education that happens at the state and local level um certainly some of that is not actually helping uh most of it is not helping very much um uh but um yeah and and all of this sort of culminates with the tobacco control act now anybody who wants to bring a tobacco product on the market has to go through fda and it is supposed to be supposed to be a rigorous scientific review uh and and part of that is creating a bottleneck to make sure that you know every tom dick and harry just can't put their own cigarette or vape or smokeless tobacco product on the market and we don't know what's in it 
Um, but uh, the other side of that bottleneck is is really limiting the number of companies that are participating in the market, making it easier for the regulator, uh, and reducing access to people. Even if it's a safer product, uh, FDA seems to be going out of its way to make it harder to buy a smoke-free alternative than it is to buy a cigarette. That they are. Let me ask you, the feds are not the only ones pushing against vaping. As you mentioned, the states are massively involved as well. What's the war on vaping looking like on the state level? Wins and losses. Um, wins and losses, it's it's the usual suspects, I would say. At this point, they've become the usual suspects for me in Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, California, uh, even Oregon and Washington have gotten in on this. Um, Minnesota has seen uh, uh, battles at the local level for several years now. Um, and so it's it's your coastal states, uh, the the Midwestern elites, Illinois will be another one. Um, Chicago, I don't I don't know that anybody ever puts Midwestern and elites in the same sentence, but I definitely just did it. If that's a first, I'll take credit for it. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's the similar uh, it's a similar song. It's a lot of misinformation and lies. Uh, I'm standing in New York State right now, where flavors were banned on uh, after lobbying from several of these campaigns, claiming that vaping was contributing to rising numbers of COVID-19 among youth. Uh, the damage was done. Flavors were banned in this state. And then within a matter of, I think, less than a year, even the, May the Mayo Clinic released a study showing that vaping had nothing to do with increasing COVID-19 rates. Uh, and so we, we've seen this, uh, you know, as far back as 2009, these campaigns have been making all of this stuff up uh, and and uh, it has uh, scared the pants off of uh, lawmakers. Uh, New Jersey was the first state to ban vaping indoors, just like smoking. Uh, and similarly, this was uh, done on baseless concerns about secondhand vapor or it's just as harmful as smoking. Uh, and of course, in 2009, we didn't have all the science that we have now. Um, but that that playbook has been deployed uh, mostly in states where you would think that that regulators would jump on board with something like banning vapor. Now, with the and as you mentioned, the flavor ban is usually the thing they like to go with uh, because it's obviously so devastating to the industry. Now, there was a couple of wins that in the last two or three months. I think one of them was in Colorado. What do we know about that? Uh, so Colorado had a flavor ban. Uh, it did make its way through. Um, uh, I believe it was it made it through, made its way through the House, and I think it was stopped in the Senate, if I remember correctly. Um, it did not make it to the governor's desk, and uh, I also believe that uh, Governor Paulus was not interested in signing it. Uh, this was something that he believes should be handled at the local level. Um, obviously, we would rather see preemption in this matter, that this is uh, something to be debated at the state level, uh, harmonizing regulations across the state uh, rather than people dealing with a, a patchwork of laws uh, similar to what you had in Massachusetts for a while. Um, this is actually a strategy that, that the campaigns employ where you sort of create a mess at the local level and then uh, essentially make a reason for the state to step in and uh, codify what, what they've been doing at the state level. Um, but um, so, yeah, we had a victory in, in Colorado stopping a flavor ban. As far as I understand it, uh, there is a bill on the, on the, Hawaii, uh, the governor of Hawaii's desk 
Uh, and uh, I have heard that, that, that they are also not very interested in signing it. Um, I think the last remaining piece of legislation that we're concerned about is in Alaska, which was a tax. Um, and I have not heard any updates about that recently, but um, again, this is a proposal that's come back uh, session after session uh, and, and hasn't, uh, hasn't ended up getting across the finish line. So hopefully that is stopped in its tracks this year too. Right. And so then back federally, because I don't want to bring it up only because I'm very interested in the actual local retail shops, but with the synthetic nicotine uh, ban uh, from the FDA, and once that happens, I mean, are there going to be any products left to fill the shelves of all these vape shops? Because many of them actually have already closed too as well, just because of everything over the last couple of years. So are there still a lot of vape shops? What's their health like and what can we, what can they expect in the next couple of months? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, we've seen hundreds of vape shops closing down across the country. I, I, I don't have an exhaustive list of, of all the shops that were here, you know, before the pandemic or before um, uh, FDA started enforcing the regulations uh, in, in 2020 um, and, and how many are left. Uh, but uh, one of the things that's that's given, I think, consumers a, a bit of a reprieve here is that uh, FDA does have enforcement discretion. Uh, and although they may not admit it, uh, so one thing that is known is that uh, it's the closed system, single-use products that uh, young people are, are more interested in. Uh, that's not to say that they don't get their hands on open system products, but uh, the open system products are more complicated, they're more expensive. Uh, both of those things are barriers to access, uh, especially for young people. Uh, and certainly they, they, they don't fit discreetly in your shirt pocket. Uh, and, and, and so uh, it's, it's obviously more visible. Um, but uh, so it, with regard to FDA's enforcement discretion, I think there are likely some retailers out there who, who know that FDA isn't going to be cracking down so hard. Again, this depends on what state you're in. Uh, if, if your state hasn't taken drastic action against vaping, then uh, there's likely a little bit more leeway for, for retailers to keep participating. Um, we've seen a lot of vape shops sort of um, retooling their business model. Now they're, they're turning into glass shops. Uh, they're selling cannabis accessories uh, or, uh, uh, you know, CBD uh, in, in order to keep their, their businesses afloat. Um, and so even in those uh, types of, of settings, uh, devices are, are something that would still be available. Um, and, I, you know, I can't speak to, to purchasing uh, a bottle of e-liquid under the table, uh, if you will, um, but I have heard from people, at least in my community, that these products are still being sold. You just have to know who to ask. Uh, and it's not hard. You can pretty much walk into a store and uh, as long as you don't give off that cop vibe, uh, they will probably give you what you're interested in. They've just, what's, you know, a tragedy is that um, for a short period of time there, vaping, you know, you felt good about doing it. You, you felt good about quitting smoking and, and vaping. And then, you know, they've almost constructed a situation in which that you feel that you're doing something as bad as smoking when you're vaping. And, and I think that, uh, that emotional um, connection that used to be there for vaping is now gone. And I think that's a tragedy. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And one of the stories I tell about my experience in as a, a in smoking uh, was in the late 90s, I, I visited Asheville, North Carolina. And this was one of the first communities to uh, not really ban smoking indoors, but they enacted an ordinance that essentially supported uh, businesses that wanted to prohibit smoking. Uh, and so many businesses opted in and they prohibited smoking, knowing that the city would have their back if they had an issue with a customer uh, who was giving them a hard time about not being able to smoke in their establishment. Uh, but it it really felt like your average person on the street was supportive of, of this sort of smoking ban. And I, I remember walking around town smoking and feeling people's eyes on me and, and getting that that sense of guilt and shame that I had really never felt before. And so when I quit smoking by switching to vaping, uh, like millions of other people, I thought I've, I've done the right thing. I, I did what they've been asking for, for decades. I, I quit smoking and I, I really enjoy this new thing. Uh, and and very shortly after that, I discovered that that this was going to be a huge policy battle. I was in New Jersey at the time, so that's why I always bring up New Jersey being the first state to do the indoor vaping ban. Uh, and and that all of those feelings started coming back. That now I have to be worried about people looking at me weird because I quit smoking because I didn't do the way that 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 is prescribed or authorized by FDA. Um, so, yeah, it's I think it's really it's really hard for people uh, to to have to go through that. It's unnecessary uh, and it, it doesn't really lead to better outcomes. People people should not be shamed for making positive choices in improving their health uh, just because it's 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 a, a product or a strategy that uh, that some people don't agree with. Uh, that doesn't make it any less effective. And it, and it it certainly doesn't help to be stigmatizing people. Well, that's a great, that was a great story. Thank you for sharing that. So just in wrap up here then, Alex, um, is there anything that you can offer our viewers that's hopeful? Well, I, you know, I think the temptation is to say over a long enough timeline, the truth will out. Um, but that's almost sort of similar at, at the same time, a bit defeatist and saying, you know, hey, we don't really have to do anything. Just, you know, keep a low pro profile, fly under the radar, and eventually the truth will will set everyone free. Um, we really do have to stand up and, and fight for our rights to, to use safer alternatives to smoking. Um, and, and, you know, this is a conversation about bodily autonomy, which is front and center in the news right now, especially after uh, the Supreme Court's de decision on abortion rights last week. Uh, and so I think if there is one thing that's hopeful is that we are seeing these groups uh, on that that attract people from all sides of the political spectrum, uh, starting to recognize all of the various ways in which harm reduction is employed. And so this is, a, I think, right now, a tremendous opportunity for all of us to be building a much larger coalition you know, seeking out, identifying, and bringing in our allies here. Uh, the conversation about safer smoke-free alternatives is really ultimately indistinguishable from conversations about uh, reproductive health care, 
uh, and and harm reduction as far as uh, drug use is concerned. So uh, the the audience is growing, the support is growing, and I've seen on social media a lot of people posting about the the the, the Juul uh, denial order uh, that I've never heard from before. Uh, and people who you go and you look at their profile and 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 it says. Uh, describing something that I, of a person I wouldn't expect to see involved in this, uh, but many, many people from all kinds of political stripes and issue areas are, are outraged by this. Uh, and so if there is one hope here, it is that our coalition is growing.